You are listening to Church Chat by Assembly Hub, and this is episode number eight. Welcome back to Church Chat by Assembly Hub. It's so wonderful to have you listening to us today, and I hope you're staying safe. I hope your uh, family is well, and pray that during this uh, crazy crisis that's going on, that you're still able to connect with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, whether it's through online or texts or emails or Zoom meetings, live streams, whatever's going on. Uh, just pray that uh, you're encouraged and uh, blessed in the Lord. And today I have Craig Fritchie on the phone with me. Thank you for being with us today, Craig. Glad to be here, Crawford. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Craig is involved with CMML, Christian Missions in Many Lands in the United States. And Craig, why don't you just give us uh, a short bio of what's going on with you in your life? Sure. Uh, I am originally from South Florida, but moved up to New Jersey to work at Christian Missions in Many Lands in 2013. Uh, here I met my wife, Daniela, and uh, we've just had our second child, a little girl and a little boy, uh, and he was born in February. So we're new parents for the second time. Uh, I am the conference and security coordinator for CMML. We run about 10 conferences a year. Uh, I also help manage the security uh, situations for our missionaries overseas. And obviously that's been taking up most of my time lately. It's been a really interesting season of life to bring kids into the world into the middle of this craziness, but the Lord is good, and uh, we trust Him in all these things. Yeah, very good. And Craig and I are both involved in a project called AnthemSongs.com, or Anthem Songs, and you can find out about it at AnthemSongs.com. And that's an exciting project that we are both going to be discussing in an upcoming episode. Um, and so this topic today very much relates to the project that we're involved with, Anthem Songs, which is a new hymn book and online platform initiative. And that subject is music in the church. Now, as I thought about doing this podcast episode, Craig, it just, you know, I, I hear alarm bells going off in my mind thinking, you know, this has been talked about so many times in so many different ways and places whether it's in blogs, podcasts, church services, discussions around uh, the dinner table, it seems like this subject, it's almost been overdone, and yet this whole topic of music is still dividing the church. It's still a huge issue, especially in conservative churches. And so, Craig, why is it that this topic is so controversial? Well, I think... At a core level, music has a lot to do with personal taste uh, and opinions. I mean, even if you just go online and look at music blogs or critics online, two very well-respected critics will have two opposing views of the same song in secular music. And so when you add that to worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in the context of the local church, People have a lot of strong feelings about what's acceptable and not, basically because everyone has their own personal taste as to style of music to begin with, right? Yeah. And so every generation has the music that has spoken to them, 
in a deep and a personal way. And also there's styles that relate to generations. There's chord progressions that are core to each generation. It's interesting to do um, a musical study of, of the kinds of, of music structures and chords uh, that have come out of different generations over just the last 100 years. And so there's also music that's associated with lifestyle choices, right? So the rock and roll movement of the 50s and the 60s, the free love hippie movement, hip hop, uh, all these things, they have kind of a loaded background to them when it comes to culture. And uh, the thing is that music is inherently, there's nothing evil about chord structures and notes and things like that. Uh, they're just tones that we hear. But a lot of these things do come with a, a background and people that have in, been influenced by that background in their past, maybe people that listen to this kind of music before they were saved. And so when uh, believers try to express themselves in certain styles and, and sounds, it brings back bad memories, you know, from people in their past life or, or there's associations that have been previously formed. And I think a, a core way to break through that is just to say uh, the words are the most important thing when it comes to worshiping the Lord Jesus and the heart and the spirit behind that worship of worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so the music should reflect that, but we all have to understand and admit that we come with a certain subset of preconceived notions of, of personal taste, of things we like and don't like about music just in general. Uh, we all have our favorite singers, whether it's Trip Lee and Lecrae rap singers or George Beverly Shea from the Billy Graham Crusades. We all have styles of music that speak to us. And often that's hard to overcome when we're trying to build unity in the church. And so I think that's a major reason why music has such an effect on unity in the church and an impact, and it's so controversial. Yeah, very good. There's, there's this direct connection, as you mentioned, with culture, and not just general culture, but even within the church. The church mm -hmm. culture has, there's been, throughout the history of the church, there's been different applications of music mm -hmm. within different church cultures. And, I mean, we know... We're, we're both pretty much on the conservative end of the spectrum when it comes yeah. to church, but we know that that spectrum is very wide. And so depending on what background experience, either positive or negative, a person has had within the church culture, mm -hmm. it very much ties into this subject of music. Now, as I think about this uh, challenge that we're talking about today, mm -hmm. there seems to be two main things that, that come to the surface. One, and you mentioned the importance of words, is this idea that either new songs are good or bad, mm -hmm. or the idea that somebody that wrote hundreds of years ago somehow has, uh, has more weight, or maybe less weight, depending on the person's viewpoint, than, say, the newer modern music. And so that's one challenge that we have, mm -hmm. is just the songs themselves, uh, new or old. And then the second challenge, I think, within, a, within the church practically is how do we actually sing these songs, whether mm -hmm. it's old or new? Do we sing a cappella? Do we have just a piano? Do we have a full band? Do we, you know, there's, there's all kinds mm -hmm. of issues that surround that idea of the music as well. So mm -hmm. maybe pick one of those or both and maybe touch on, on some of those things. 
Yeah. So in thinking about old songs versus new songs, kind of a valid argument that's been made is the reason why older songs have a little more weight is they've been distilling for hundreds of years and only the cream has risen to the top. Mm -hmm. Meaning that Fanny Crosby wrote thousands of hymns. Charles Wesley wrote thousands of hymns. Darby wrote thousands of hymns and only a few remain. You know, these are the more famous people. They have maybe 10 max hymns in a hymn book. Uh, whereas a lot of people only have two, three, maybe just one song that's remained out of the hundreds or thousands they wrote over time. And so when it comes to older hymns, people can make that argument with some case that's saying that only the best are really remaining from all the thousands and maybe millions of songs that have been written in the last 500 years. And so that's a point that we must think about is, yeah, these older songs, there's just, they've had time to marinate and they've been around and they've been around for a reason. That being said, it doesn't disqualify new songs from being added to the canon of greatness, right? But there is an issue in that, you know, new songs are coming out at a rate we've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, There's a whole industry, songs, right, built around. Well, right. There's an music. industry. And that's actually a big point is a lot of people have pushed back against this industry because they're making music that is made to sell, right? It's made to make money. And there's a whole industry there that, that is concerning. And yet that does not inherently mean new is bad because the, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that dwelt within the apostles, dwelt within Fanny Crosby and Charles Wesley, we believe it dwells within us, dwells within anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And so the same spirit is leading us all to worship. And the same word of God is inspiring the saints of old as they're inspiring the saints of new. And it's a misnomer to say that new songs are inherently not good just because they're new. Uh, it's just that we have to use a little bit more of a, a fine tooth comb to go through it because there's just so much. I remember when we first started trying to incorporate more contemporary music into our youth group setting, and trying to pick the right songs was such an overwhelming task because there was just so much. And a lot of times we relied on the radio because contemporary Christian music, they usually would pick the best songs to go on the radio. And yet we're, we're starting to see that is just not the case currently. It's just a small pool of songs that make it to the radio. Um, and for us that are trying to find good songs, they're there and they're available. It just takes a little bit more digging because there's just so much to go through. However, in the same way, if you go back through the thousands of hymn books that have been published, right, since, since Luther, there's a lot of songs to go through there too. And so it's the idea of songs need to be based on the merit of their words and the melody themselves, whether they're from yesterday or from a hundred years ago. Uh, but it's a real challenge to go through that. And I think we need to admit and be willing to talk about that struggle, to be willing to, to take the time to not just receive what you've been given, but to look for what is good. And then we, I think, might have a better success in picking what is actually beneficial and valuable for the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really great point. And just to add to that, uh, you know, we have a lot of hymns in our hymn books mm -hmm. from the 1700s and 1800s. And mm -hmm. if the church had been continually sort of pruning or purging 
out all of the, the hymns and songs that were being written, you know, sort of every 10 years almost, like, or, or on an ongoing process, going through and keeping the cream of the crop, if you will, then we wouldn't have had this huge gap, which I think is what we're trying, is we as in our, our generation and, and younger, we're trying now to wade through almost mm. 200 years of new music, which is obviously not new. Plus, mm. we've got, you know, 10 to 20 new songs a week coming out yeah. of this industry. And one thing I do want to add, which I think is a great point, what you mentioned, that is a valid concern about the music industry. And we have a tendency maybe to throw at the baby with the bathwater and think that, right. that there are some really genuine, godly people that are writing songs today, not just to generate money and mm -hmm. revenue, but because they love the Lord and they love the church. And yes, there's, I mean, they have to sell, you know, CDs and they have to sell music to survive, but their heart is first of all for the church and for God. And we can't, confuse those people with maybe those that are writing just for financial gain. And so I think it's, it's important, again, like you said, we need so much more discernment to go through the music today because right. we've had to wade through so much music and, and words to say, what are the very best that we're going to include? But I think as you and I've talked, previously that going forward we want to continue to be evaluating new music as it comes out right and if i could be fair to the church especially to the assemblies that process of whittling down songs did go on up until the 70s so they did a pretty good job of helping us up until that point but i think it had a lot to do with the rise of the christian music industry where there became this fear of new music because of this difficulty in discernment right and so instead of going through that hard work, we just kind of closed the canon uh, because it was just too hard for a lot of people. And so that canon was kind of closed in the 70s. And so to reopen it now, it is a challenge to sort through, you know, 50 years of music. But thank the Lord for those that kept that process going. People like A.P. Gibbs that were really passionate about new music in the church all the way through the 70s. Uh, the truth and praise publications and things like that. We want to give them the credit uh, and thank the Lord for them because they really did keep that going for their generations. But now it's time for us to take that job again and do the work. Just a couple of verses to, to read here in Nehemiah chapter 12 and 27. It says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And of course, we know the Psalms are filled with uh, musical instruments and sort of vibrant uh, praise and worship. We're commanded in Psalm 33 to shout for joy to the Lord, to play skillfully with strings, with loud shouts. And Psalm 150 is all about really instruments praise him with the trumpet and the lute and the harp and the tambourine and dance with strings and pipes cymbals loud clashing cymbals <laughs> so the argument against using instruments in the church today is that the new testament is and i won't say silent but is mostly silent mm -hmm. on this discussion of using instruments we do have a hint in Ephesians and in Colossians 
that the words that are used would imply potentially based on the original would imply using instruments in singing. But there is an argument out there that has caused a lot of disagreement and, and division over what instruments, if any, should be used. Yeah, that's a rough art. That's tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because God does love the voice of his people, you know? He does love to hear our voices sing to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And yet God has given us the gift of music and the ability to play music. And I don't see anything in scripture that says that musical instruments are ungodly or are not to be used in the praise and worship of the Lord. Uh, like you just quoted, like quite the, quite the contrary, you know, in the Old Testament that was encouraged. And nowhere in the New Testament is it necessarily discouraged at all. And so I think it's one of those gray areas where God is giving us liberty and freedom in Christ to worship him as we are able, because the New Testament is all about the heart attitude. Uh, that's the whole point of all the texts in the epistles is the heart behind, not just what you believe, because the Pharisees had the right doctrines in a lot of ways, but they had the wrong heart, right? Mm -hmm. um, they, they had the, the mint and the cumin and all the jocks and the tittles, but they forgot the weightier matters of love and of mercy and of justice. And so um, the New Testament is in the gospel is returning us to the, the right heart before God because Christ has cleansed us from our sin and has made us right with God and given us the opportunity to have a pure heart before God. And so that's the point of the New Testament. And perhaps that's why it's not mentioned at all is because it's not about what instrument you're using or um, what kind of building you're in or what language you're speaking. Uh, but it's about a heart of worship and praise and adoration and thanksgiving to God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in many ways, it's a non-issue. It should be a non-issue because that's not the point, right? Yeah. The point is a heart right before God. There are people that can use their talents for the Lord that are sitting on the sidelines because we're not letting them use their instrument talents. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about their talents. And we want young people in particular to feel like they can use their talents and their gifts and abilities for the glory of God, right? That is so important that as young people, we're given that chance, that opportunity to use the gifts we've been given the talents we have for the glory of God. We want to create space for the next generation to see that their skills can be used for God's glory. And skills include the skillful playing of the piano, the skillful playing of the guitar, the skillful playing of a violin, drums, whatever instrument you want to call out. The trombone, right? We have a trombone at our chapel. It's a beautiful thing to see people coming together and worshiping the Lord together. I was at an assembly. I was brought to tears by their music ministry because this was an assembly that worked really hard to combine the styles and the abilities of the older saints and the younger saints. And we had on the stage, we had a guitar and the drums and the piano and the background singers and the bass, like your typical quote unquote praise band. But along with that, there was an organist and there was a brass trio and there was a violin and there's all these instruments and there's all kinds of ages together in this too, people in their seventies, people in their twenties, all playing together and leading the congregation and singing. 
And I could still hear all the congregation singing too. And it was just beautiful to see the unity that can be brought when people are allowed to use their skills and their abilities for the glory of God as a church, but always keeping in mind it's for the glory of God in the church, not for my own personal glory, not for me to sing the best high note I could possibly sing or to play the best guitar solo, but so that we as a body can all come together and praise to the Lord. Yeah, that's wonderful. When that's done so well, it does. it's very moving to see that happen. And one thing I do want to just say before we move on to our last point here, our last question is, that there's often this argument that says that if you add instruments, then you're really just entertaining people or you're just that people are going after those type of churches or services where they have, you know, bands just to be entertained. And and I do want to point out that there is, as we talked about at the beginning, there is a personal enjoyment to music, whether it's, and I would challenge anybody that loves acapella singing and old hymns that they are just as much enjoying their singing as the person who likes the band and any other song that's played. And I think that we need to get rid of that thought that one is entertaining and one isn't and simply say that music is personal. We enjoy certain styles, whether it's with or without instruments and that it's really about the heart. It's not so much about the methods of of singing and i want to just say i 100% agree with you that instruments should be there to accompany the singing not the other way around and it's one of the things we've been trying so hard to do in our assembly because we have a small a fairly small room that we meet in is to make sure that the instruments are not too loud and drowning out the singing that everyone no matter where they're sitting whether it's the front or the back they can hear each other singing, even though there's instruments that are accompanying uh, the, the, the songs that we're singing. So I think that's a really key, important part that you mentioned. And then finally, uh, Craig, as we wrap up this episode, and I think feel like we could talk for hours about this and bring out new points, but here's, I think, a question that is paramount to this whole discussion. And that is, what are some ways that churches and assemblies particularly can unify around music. The divide is there in many places. How can we get rid of the wall and bring people together around this subject of music instead of causing division? Music is very personal. We all know that. We all have our own styles that we like. But I think one of the core aspects of being in a church body together is that we all have to be humble. We all have to have a spirit of love and humility to work together. We all have our own tastes and our own personal desires, our own personal likes and dislikes. And in the body of Christ, it's not just about compromise. It's about preferring the other one over yourself. Um, I think compromise has a negative connotation because it means you're giving up something you think is right. But this idea of humility and preferring one another it's what scripture talks about in relation to many things in scripture and so and many things in the body of Christ. And so as we approach the subject of music, recognizing that there are a diversity of opinions and thoughts and interests and tastes, caring about what the other person likes matters. 
in trying to work together so that everyone feels uh, comfortable and that their need, needs are met and that their thoughts are heard. Uh, and, and picking songs that bring people together and that everyone can agree on. Now that's a tall order, right? <laughs> Uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be stretched and challenged beyond what we're comfortable in. It isn't about comfort. Actually, it's quite uncomfortable. But it's about preferring one another in love. It's about seeing my brother and sister and wanting them to enter into the worship of God as an assembly. And thinking about the music that would draw them in, as well as draw myself and people that think like me in. And so... Before we just make our top 20 list and play our favorite songs, we need to also be thinking about what will draw the hearts of our congregations out in worship. And I think that's a big step that can be made that would change the conversation. The younger people thinking of the older people, the older people thinking of the younger people, and the ones in the middle also thinking of the others, right? It's all of us actually first caring about our brothers and sisters in Christ and our local fellowship. It's about us caring about the next generation and what they're growing up hearing and thinking about. It's about us considering, are these words instilling a good foundation in our children? And are they also ministering to all the generations above them? And as we do that in the spirit of love and humility, there will be new songs that we add in because we see how the kids at camp react to that. We see how the youth group reacts to these songs. And we know that they're good words and they're solid melodies that can be sung. And so we add them in. But we're not just catering to the younger people either. We want them to also understand that they are standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before. That the church has been around for 2,000 years. And the songs that have been sung for generations, they mean something. They're valuable. And they show us our heritage of faith. And we want to sing those. And so as we understand, it's not just about now. It's about the history of the church. And it's about the future of the church. As we sing, we sing to reflect all of those generations. And we sing so that all the generations that are in our fellowship can do it with knowledge and insight together with pure hearts to the Lord. And so as we think about bridging that gap, I would challenge each and every one of us to think about our perspective towards music. Am I coming at it with my own preferences at the forefront, with my own desires, my own initiative, uh, my own likes and dislikes, my own opinions? Or am I coming at this conversation of music with a heart of love and humility towards the body of Christ and towards the people who the Lord has entrusted to my fellowship? You know, if the, if the elders have given me the responsibility over the music or a team of us, we want to make sure that we do that with the gravity that it means. We are choosing the songs that the next generation will think about when they think about church. We're going to choose the songs that the people of God are going to sing to Jesus Christ. It's a tall order. And so there should be a soberness there. But it should also cause us to want to choose music that builds up the body of Christ. Uh, and that includes new songs. That includes old songs. It might affect how we sing them as far as instruments are concerned. Who are we trying to encourage and build up in our fellowship? And that really will change the whole conversation, I think, to get it away from our own perspectives and our own taste and to throw it back onto the love of the brethren. 
Very good. Uh, wonderful thoughts. And I really do pray that every person, every church, every leadership group in church would hear what you just said and put that into practice because that ultimately is going to bring way more glory to the Lord than any one individual singing a song, even if it's to the Lord, but in their own preference or personal desire. So I just really appreciated those thoughts that you shared. Thanks for being with us uh, today, Craig. And I know that uh, we'll be back talking about anthem songs soon and looking forward to hearing about that great project that's that's coming up. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Crawford. And uh, stay tuned next week. Look forward to uh, talking to you again and uh, have a great week. You have been listening to Church Chat by Assembly Hub. Check out all the articles and discussion at assemblyhub.com. Tune in next week to hear more Church Chat by Assembly Hub.